Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Federico. Federico, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Robbie. Thanks for the invite. Um, I'm well, I'm Federico Alvarez Igarzaba, um, and I'm a game studies scholar. Like it gets that's, that's the label that could be better applied to me. I study video games and games in general. More specifically, I'm interested in um, time perception in video games. Um, so the temporal aesthetics of games, but I do a mix of uh, cognitive science, psychology, philosophy of mind with the formal analysis of games. So mixing a little bit of humanities and um, natural sciences there. And well, yeah, that's basically a summary of what I do. Uh, I can go a little bit more into detail into the projects that I've worked on so far. But well, with the temporal experience when it comes to uh, video games, I've talked to Michael Flattery about uh, temporal experience, especially when it comes to like incarceration. But with video games, we all are so we all know that time is not passing differently. It's still passing the same, but it's the way that we're, I guess, being cognitive of time. Like it just seems like when you slip into a video game, it just goes way, way quicker. I'll be playing World of Warcraft, what I feel like is only two hours. Next thing you know, it's been two days and I haven't eaten and I'm hungry. So I, I just get into this aspect. What is that? Is that just because we're having so much fun that we're just losing track of time or is it just something that's being altered? Because I think this is a bigger question now because with virtual reality becoming such a huge impact now at least it's becoming more accessible to the common public before it was like rare that people would have an actual headset but now i see videos all the time of people walking into walls because they're so immersed into virtual reality where i wonder is this going to be something that's going to be beneficial is it going to be kind of scary maybe negative well yeah that's uh that's a lot there but um to go to the temporal aspect, and this is connected also to the benefits and possible harms, I guess, of VR and video games, the temporal aspect. Yeah, um, one of the main aspects of our temp time perception is that we perceive the passage of time, basically, right? Uh, not only that we see things changing and moving and whatever that, that, that gives us an idea of the passage of time, but we have a feeling for the how slow or fast the time is passing. It's like a sense we have. It, it's hard to explain. It's like an intuition, right? So if you've seen a very good movie, the two hours of the movie may seem like they go in by in a flash, but if it's a very boring movie, you may feel like time is dragging and are looking at your watch all the time, when is this going to end? You know, if it's, you're watching it on Netflix, you may just fast forward a little bit <laughs> till you find an interesting part uh, because time becomes a part of your, I mean, you start paying attention to time when you're bored, but when you're not, when you're having fun, when you're engaged in activity, you stop paying attention to time. And that's one of the things that makes time seem to pass faster. As you said, physical time is not accelerating on, or decelerating, it's purely psychological time. It's just a subjective feeling of the passage of time that is really malleable and can change. And it's very dependent on what we're doing, um, on the situation we're immersed in. And video games are particularly good at making time fly. And I, when I say I'm researching time perception in video games, 
that's the first association I think a lot of people do. Oh yeah, when you play video games, time passes by really fast. And that is true. I mean, for most people, there was a survey in 2007, I think the first author was Wolf. And 99% of respondents said that time passed faster while playing games. And this is attributable mostly to a state called flow, uh, I would say. And it has to do with this idea of not paying attention to time. And when we're in a flow state, we're very, it's a, the flow state and the name of this flow state was coined by psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Uh, and um, he was the first one to systematically study this, this state of flow. And you can experience flow in, I don't know, while dancing, when playing soccer, while uh, even while working, uh, if, you know, if you enjoy your work and are absorbed by it. And uh, anyway, there are myriad activities which can lead to flow, but video games are particularly good at, at that. And when you're in flow, you're very concentrated on the activity, you have a feeling of control, and um, your goals are clear. And then subjectively, the passage of time speeds up, or you lose track of time, uh, and you lose the sense of self in a way. But you stop thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about, um, you know, your, your life narrative or what you're going to do next, or, you know, you're just so focused on the task that you forget yourself and time. And then that, for that reason, since you haven't paid attention to time, then when you suddenly pay attention to time again, it seems like, you know, maybe a few hours have gone by in like what feels like minutes. And there are, uh, well, flow is a very positive experience, I think, in general, generally speaking, it's uh, something that we seek. And it's uh, pleasurable, it, you know, it give, it's fun to be in flow and we seek it constantly, right? It, and it's, um, I think it's one of the secrets also to, to living a good life, to, to seek activities, hobbies, whatever, your job that give you flow, um, that will give you pleasure that, and, and um, these are activities that usually give you like a sense of also like control and agency, um, which are good senses like, you know, um, it's good to have in life. <laughs> And going then to, to the mental health problem, for example, um, we've just gone and, and are still like in the, what hopefully is the end of a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, where which, you know, because of this pandemic, um, we spent a lot of time at home, logged in without being able to go out or going out very like uh, briefly or, you know, meeting very few people, if at all, meeting people. So people experience a lot of loneliness and also maybe a feeling of anxiety and a feeling of their we're lacking control in life. And I would dare say here, I mean, even though, you know, we probably need more evidence for this, but I think something like an activity like playing games and engaging in state of, getting into state of flows with games could have been a very positive thing during, during the pandemic because then you experience a feeling of control again, then you, Time starts passing faster again, whereas when you're locked inside, you know, it's easy to, to get a feeling that time is dragging and you're going nowhere. And, and this idea of not knowing what's going to happen with this pandemic in like a week or two, um, then having a feeling of control during the flow activity can be very helpful to counteract those other effects of, of the pandemic. Of course, they won't make the pandemic go away, but they will at least make you feel better for a while. And I think in the long run, it can also help mitigate those bad effects of something like a pandemic. Just to give you an example of a positive effect that a video game and flow can have in, in 
mental health. Well, are you seeing like a rise and in increase in focus towards maybe type of virtual reality or other types of uh, time passing activities, especially if there is a possible another situation like a pandemic or I'm not even saying as bad as a pandemic, just a spot where you can't leave your house for an extended period of time? Because we could talk about the positives. I think the positives in virtual reality is amazing. I just don't know if people are really ready for it. Like, I, I hate to be that pessimist type, but people have like this weird thing where they can get addicted to things so quickly. And like, I have it in myself as well, too. And it's very, very hard when especially like life seems like there's just days you just don't want to leave the house where it's like it's when you get sucked into virtual reality. If you've ever played one of these virtual reality simulations before, they're a lot funner than the real world where it's like you don't really want to leave it. And like there are times where you got to be like, oh, I got a job I got to go to. But eventually if it transfers all online, you got this aspect of this this connection to a device where you don't really want to experience real experiences. You rather just have them all digitally. But that's more of the pessimistic side, more of the pos uh, positive side would be like medical advances would be um, especially situations where education could be valuable through virtual reality. There's so many upsides to it. I'm just making sure that we have that nice, even connection with ourselves and technology to a point where we don't go completely overboard like we tend to do on a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a genuine concern, I think. Um, this idea of something's really, really fun and maybe other aspects of my life aren't going that well and I'm not being fulfilled by them. It's easy to, to look for a form of escapism or, or in video games and then spend a lot of time there where you know you have this sense of control, this sense of, oh, I'm, I'm great here, I'm powerful, sorcerer, whatever, warrior, and um, people fear me in this world. And whereas in the other world, I'm just uh, constantly anxious and afraid and uh, feel, you know, if life's not going well for you, then I can see how uh, it can happen that you can seek refuge there, which is a good thing, but maybe then uh, neglect, you know, financial solutions to problems in your life and and spending, well, you know, a lot of time in these virtual worlds without seeking solutions to the actual problems. I can see that happening. And I think it's a genuine concern. I think, I think it's something we should be aware of. Also entering a state of flow as pleasurable as it is, uh, it can also be like tempting to say, Oh, well, should I, you know, whatever, write a term paper now if you're a student or play a video game, which is more fun and it will get me into a state of flow instead of a frustrated state that will maybe, uh, you know, get me writing the paper on a topic I'm not really interested in or something, right? So it might lead us to, to choose the thing that on the long term um, won't, you know, be beneficial for us, right? Uh, make choices that, that will make us neglect more important aspects of our life or make, making longer long time investments with our time you know that's also a risk we have to be very aware of that and and self-control is very important in these situations you know to, to be able to see okay i have to make the smart choice now and not just have fun but you know focus on this thing that may you know or may at least writing a term paper may at least take longer to get into a, a state in which you're having fun with it whereas a game is kind of like straight away you're having fun like they designed to get you in a state of flow pretty much from the get-go. A lot of games, not all of them necessarily, but so yeah, we have to be aware of these things. But when talking about addiction, I'm not an expert here, but I know that at least the science is still, the jury is still open on that if games are addictive or not. I tend to see a lot of the discussion uh, around it. Um, I mean, sometimes blaming games for things that are, where games are mostly more like a symptom or there's at least a risk of blaming games for certain behaviors, um, as if games were the cause of these behaviors, like for example, spending too much time in the video game and neglecting other things. 
Whereas it may be the case that video games in, or this behavior of playing a lot of video games may be more of a symptom of other problems, right? Because you're seeking in games something you don't have in your life. So you have to solve the problems in your life and then maybe you won't play as much, right? Because you will, you know, you won't be seeking in games something that you already have in life. Um, but, and there's, I think, a tendency sometimes to blame the game for, oh, it's because the game is so addictive that people are playing so much. Maybe it's, uh, you know, so that, that will lead maybe to the conclusion of, well, if we take video games away from this person, problem solved, the addictive thing is, you know, out of their lives. But not really, because the problems in life are still there. So this was maybe the only thing that was giving joy to this person in their life. You just took it away because you deemed it as addictive, you know? Um, and I think that's the risk we run by being too quick at labeling uh, games as addictive. While we may be seeing more like symptoms of other problems um, that related to video games, like this is anecdotal, but I read once in a, in a newspaper, the case of a, a girl, just to illustrate my point. Um, I think it was in the Netherlands. And yeah, his father, father was worried because he was keeping class, staying home, playing a lot of Switch, whatever. I think it was Animal Crossing or something. And the first, yeah, the first uh, impulse was, well, let's take away the console from her. Then she will start going back to school, um, you know, doing her homework, doing what she has, what she's supposed to do, right? And I don't remember exact details of this whole story, but in the end, they sort of found out that she was being bullied at school. And it's also by a teacher. So, you know, she was seeking refuge in games and it was a form of escapism. Of course, it wasn't solving the problem, but it was a way that maybe she could find some balance between this horrible, you know, this, this very upsetting and, and horrible mental states she was experiencing at school and the, the more pleasurable and positive mental states that she attained while playing games. And they were helping balance it out a little bit, you know. Um, of course, like I said, that didn't solve the problem. So you actually have to work on solving the problem you have in your life. But just taking away the video game is not helping necessarily, you know. So just a word of caution from my side, because what I, from what I see as a non-expert, uh, specifically in addiction, uh, but what I see from the discussion between experts, I see that the, there's still a lot of, you know, um, open questions. And it may well be that at some point we say, oh, no, yeah, some games of these are maybe have a little bit addictive, like gambling or whatever. You know, we may find that there's some problematic behavior that's directly caused by games, but that's not the case so far. We haven't found it. I think scientists are, you know, still, you know, researching these aspects. And well, when it comes to video games, are you seeing more of a help when it comes to cognition? Are you seeing a more of a hurt when it comes to cognition? I feel like I know they talk about like your reflexes sometimes, like especially with like thumbsticks and all this, like all well, video games that people play. The reflexes tend to be very, very quick, but I feel like it also probably takes away from others some maybe aspect of your life or something where I wonder if like if you're walking around in a simulated world or a digital world, I'm like, what are you increasing? Like, I know it's got to be bad for your eyes, but I'm like the amount of knowledge that you have if you have like a really good simulation that's able to walk you through like specific steps to do a surgery or to build something or not like maybe minecraft but it's something more like severe where it's like actually showing you like you need to do this and this and this not just you can't just conjure up a block i go that's got to be beneficial in so many different aspects i think there are benefits associated to playing games um i mean i think i mean there are some scientists, I couldn't, you know, exactly tell you uh, with all the details what the benefits of playing games is. And this is also still being researched, but cognitive, bene cognitive benefits have been found like in increasing intelligence. I think there was a recent study that came out that showed that. 
I don't remember exactly which games um, were part of the study, but um, also emotional benefits uh, connected to video games. Like they could also enhance self-control um, in a way. We were working on my last project that I was a postdoc in called Virtual Times. It was a project funded by the EU, but still ongoing, one more year. But I was, I was uh, engaged for the first three. And my job was to um, see how, or research how virtual reality environments affect, and video games affect time perception in healthy participants. But we were working with the hypothesis that entering states of flow um, regularly may help uh, mitigate some symptoms of depression. What? Uh, because flow, taste, flow states are basically, um, in many ways, the opposite of a depression. Um, uh, when it comes to mental states in depression, like depressed patients uh, report um, typically that time doesn't pass, they're stuck in time, that they don't have control over their lives. And they think a lot about themselves in a very negative light. It's called rumination, right? Um, so spending a lot of time you know, uh, lost in thoughts about yourself, but very negative thoughts. And uh, a state of flow does away with all this. Time passes past and passes by really quickly. And you stop, you lose the sense of self. You start this, mostly this narrative self goes away. This self that is uh, about your, your own story and, and your past and where you're going. And, you know, uh, the experiential self or the experience is still there. Of course, you still experience this as, as a subject, what you're doing, but this narrative self, goes away. And this is hypothetical. There is some evidence that points in this direction, but it's still being researched and uh, also by, by the teams in this project, but that experiencing flow states regularly may help ameliorate the symptoms. And in combination with therapy, of course, um, they could be helpful. You know? And we were working and the, the team is still, the, the teams, plural, still working on developing a VR application for the treatment and diagnosis of uh, depression and other psychopathologies as well. So there's a lot of potential in there as well. Um, but I also think when I'm asked about the benefits of video games, it's like, I mean, play in general is very beneficial, right? Um, whether we're, we're doing it like outside with friends or um, in a virtual world, it builds uh, social bonds. It helps us also develop our social skills as children, uh, especially. And, um, you know, it helps you negotiate with other players and it teaches you about rules and what happens if you break them, you know, and you get caught while doing that and whatnot. And um, it, it also helps you um, solve problems and you put a lot of, you know, skills uh, to, you know, uh, into you to use while you're playing in general. So I'm playing video games are not an exception. I think any activity also that gives us pleasure and that it helps us bond with other people, with communities, with friendships, is in itself positive. You know, it, it already gives us a lot of, has a lot of value in life. And it doesn't have to be the non plus ultra like video games will give you everything. Of course not. You know, it's an entertainment medium mostly. Um, and it will give you entertainment. It will give you fun. It will give you uh, good time with, with friends, good times alone, you know, whatever. But, uh, and that's already good enough, I think, as long as we don't overdo it, you know? Well, well, if we go back to the depression aspect of things, do you think it's just the way that we've, we're learning how to measure depression, for instance? Like, it seems like in the, you could probably look up a billion articles that'll show that video games cause depression. But 
I, I think that's a wrong saying of doing that only because people think that you get too invested into it and it decreases your happiness. I go, well, it doesn't decrease their happiness. It just takes them away from their depression. For instance, if someone's playing video games and they're having a really good time, then they go back. Well, now you've just taken out the one thing that's helping them. Like you're not fixing the depression. You're just bringing that. Now it's just going to come back. They're going to pay attention to it again. They're going to be aware of their depression again. So you're not curing the depression, but you're giving them an escape. You're giving them a time with video games to be able to go out of that. But the way that we measured it, at least in the beginning when I was a kid, was like video games are causing depression or video games are causing violence. It's like, I don't think that's true. I think it's just the escape's gone. So now you have the problem still there. So if we find ways that maybe, especially now we have the rising increase in mental health issues and the amount of depression that's going up, especially in younger, younger generations. Now, if we can incorporate what we would call like virtual times, but just moments in your life where maybe in class or some things you can play a quick, I mean, how many people have games on their phone? It's not that hard. You have easy access to a game, but also it's just like back in the day, people say, well, go out and play like a sport or something. It's like, well, you can't have that ease of access as you would with a video game back when you used to be like, Oh, Saturday, I'm going to go play football with the boys. Well, then it rains on Saturday. Now you can't play football. And now you're back to your depression slump that you can't get out of. Well, Saturday, I'm going to go play COD with the boys. It's in your house. You bought the system. You have access to it. Then it extends even farther. We get into an aspect of watching people play video games. I have no freaking clue why that's so entertaining, but it is. It makes time to slip away. Next thing I know, it's like six hours in. I just watched a guy stream on Fortnite for like forever. It's just like it, it, there's something about it where I don't know if it's the, all the effects that are going on, all the graphics, all the explosions, all the scenery, all these different things that you just get lost in. And it, it is it is an essential escape. I think it might be a cure for depression, but I also want to make sure that if we're using this as a way to help out with depression, we don't let it be like how a pill is, where you just give somebody a pill and let them like get used to it. I think it could be a beneficial tool to help people curb their depression in their every single day life. But I think it's about that access to entertainment, that access to joy. The reason why video games are so attractive is because it's a fountain of joy because I, I, maybe it's better than your life is. I have no clue for some people. Some people don't like video games, but it's so easily accessed as well too, where I think we can use it in a more beneficial way too, which is just structure a way to be able to help someone actually come over with some mental health problems or some depression issues, such as like a video game type simulation that helps, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, we could Zoom calls, for instance. This is beneficial to me. This is like a video game. I'm in a video game right now. It's going to be on YouTube or whatever, but it's like a, it's a video game to me because right now it's like how doctors have Zoom meetings with patients. You're still getting that interaction, but it's through a screen. Now, we don't necessarily need every single thing like that onto a screen, but we can use it and incorporate it in little tiny segments into our life to actually improve or increase some areas where we might have a diminished capacity. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, mean, I don't know about these claims about games cause depression. I don't know how evidence-based they are, honestly. Uh, I, Play Resident Evil for four days straight. You'll be depressed. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but um, I mean, we also see like um, in this mental health and video games uh, sort of debate uh, a little bit of the signs of a moral panic. And we've seen it with violence before. You mentioned it, you know. Uh, great scholars to, to follow on this, and, and especially, I mean, about violence and, and 
um, video games, but also mental health and video games as uh, Chris Ferguson, for example, Patrick Markey or Andrew Shibilski are doing great stuff. Uh, um, and um, Mia Orban, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you saw that, like, we saw that in, like, in the 90s, especially, I think it started like in the 70s with death rays, you know, people already, um, you know, uh, decrying video games, like that, back then in the 70s, you know, there were all pixels, um, like green pixels on a black screen. And uh, Death Race was already kind of scandalous because it, you know, it was a game where you raced and killed other racers. Um, and, but then with Mortal Kombat, especially in uh, Night Trap uh, and other games in the 90s, uh, Doom, uh, like real Mortal Panic started. And, um, but the evidence tells us uh, now that clearly that video games have no causal link to, to violence. You know? um, it does not lead to violence. On the contrary, we tend to see the opposite correlation. Um, when a game like GTA V came out, violence decreased um, because we, people were busy playing video games. We didn't have time to commit acts of violence. And but also we see like correlations like uh, places where the most video games are played, countries like the Netherlands, uh, South, South Korea, Japan, are some of the least violent countries in the world. And um, so you should expect the opposite correlation, right? If video games are causing violence, then the more video games are played in the country, the more violence you see. And that's the opposite. And it's the, you know, um, so there, there's a lot of evidence on that. And uh, like usually, and also like mass shooters, for example, tend to play less fewer video games than, than the average person. Uh, well, but yeah, Chris Ferguson and Patrick Marty have published a book on this and they are the experts. <laughs> And called uh, moral moral combat, and um, and I think now with uh, addiction and uh, mental health connected to video games, we may be also experiencing or going through some sort of moral panic. Video games still being the scape scapegoat for the ills of society, you know, um, as one of the newest media in in the in our media landscape. You know, previously it was comics books, it was rock and roll, it was Dungeons and Dragons, it was. There's always a culprit that people like to point to without having much evidence. And I think video games are still in that position, socially speaking. Well, it's, so it's easy I, I to blame something because of that. Yeah. It's easy to blame something that's like two uncharted territories. You're dealing in a world right now where I think mental health is on as much as people say, like, we're so like focused on mental health. I'm like, I'm barely seeing a lot of like initiative be done on it besides like independent researchers. But I don't see the news talking about it a whole lot. I just see them reporting on like other things where I go, you have two uncharted territories. So it's easy to blame them because you don't really fully understand them. And that's video games as well, too. They're a culprit because there's a lot of people that just don't see any benefit in video games games and they're mistaken i grew up in the 90s i mean i was 97 so i grew up more in the 2000s but video games were everything you know i just I ended up losing like I, right now i couldn't even sit down and play a video game for more than five minutes without getting bored i have no clue what happened but they were a big structure to my life for instance because i didn't have friends that i could go easily ride my bike to they were all miles and miles away so you could connect on on xbox live or something like that and there's like xbox live syndrome like i think part of my language skills definitely evolved from there like the cursing and all that type of stuff but it's it you meet connections through it as well too i think we can find a way especially with like video games and violence for instance that's just a narrative that's been like said over and over and over again honestly i think it releases more stress 
to be 100% honest, like if you're playing a game, it doesn't mean if you do something in a game, you're going to do it in your actual life. You actually might be less likely to do that type of thing. People play a boxing video game. How many times before that was a video game, they would be like, I'm going to actually go start a fight or something like that. Like you got to look at like this aspect of like people need to vent. We all know people do. We all know that there's like anger issues. There's depression. There's all these types of things. You have a tool right in front of you that could easily be accessed to do so. And it's it'll be even better to help people overconquer fears too. virtual reality to get people out of like their fear of heights, get uh, them out of their fear of, I don't know, something scary. I mean, you have this aspect that you could use in such a super beneficial way. But we see I mean, I don't know how many of the common video games are doing that now. Like we don't I don't really see any good direction with Call of Duty besides it's just fun. I mean, it makes time go by pretty quick, but that like if we could turn it to like, I don't know, like there's like simulators out there, like farming simulator is boring, but I mean, eventually it'll become fun depending on, I know friends that play that all day long. And it's like, what are you learning from that? And you start realizing it's a very complex game where you have to remember a lot and it's training your memory. Yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, there's a, like, I think um, increasingly more games of that type of kind of like farming simulator or you or truck simulator or yeah. games that you think like on paper see, what is this how can this be a video <laughs> yeah. game it's, it sounds horrible <laughs> you know but they're very popular i haven't played myself uh, but i have I've played other games like that could sound equally boring on paper and um maybe to a lot of people they are but i think you know it's it's this idea of um you we associate video games straight away with high speed I obtain action and shooting and racing and whatnot, you know? Um, but some people just want to chill and maybe they can enter a state of flow also like that. You know, I, you get home from a, you know, a long day of work. Um, you don't feel like getting to us, you know, competitive action games can be kind of stressful and it, they require a lot of your attention, quick reflexes if you want to really, you know, do well on a death match or whatever, or, so maybe it's it's a way to chill just to get home, turn on truck simulator, tune in a cool radio in the truck, and drive around the high, you know highways like delivering stuff from city to city. And I think a lot of people really enjoy that. And it's, you're still involved in a task. Um, you're not doing a lot, you, you know, but it still keeps you, you know, I guess uh, engaged enough that you lose a little bit track of time, maybe, or you chill. Maybe it's also, this is an idea also, a concept that um, I've seen only recently be studied, especially with relation to time perception, which is my area of expertise, but this idea of idleness. Um, um, usually we think of uh, pleasurable states or pleasurable uh, states where times go by, go, go by, goes by fast and we don't think about it. I don't know. But there's some evidence now that there's also a possible combination of a mental state where you are actually aware of, of time and uh, but it passes by and it passes by kind of slowly, but it's still a pleasurable state. And this is this idea of idleness, of being like, you know, sitting around, not doing much, contemplating landscape, whatever, you know, and uh, but not being necessarily bored or um, having a bad time. Just you're just there, idle, uh, enjoying whatever your time of not doing anything you know and that's probably a thing that we're lacking more and more in our society I think, because we have so many ways to entertain ourselves you know just 
you have to wait for five minutes and right away, what do you do? You reach out to your pocket and, you know, take out your cell phone, your smartphone and start whatever, you know, go into social media, play a game, chat with someone, which is great that we have that option. But, um, or if you're at home, you can just watch Netflix, play a video game or whatnot. Their options are infinite. I don't have to mention them. We all know them, of course. Um, and we, I guess, increasingly lack these moments where there's nothing to do really other than stare at a wall. And um, maybe that's making us, I'm just speculating, but maybe that makes us also a little more impatient and more easily bored um, because we don't, we don't train this capacity to just be there. Do you think people have an unrealistic expectation of time? Like, it seems like everyone's in like this time crunch, like they need to be doing everything right now, or they need to be doing something one minute, or they're not going to like make it because like, I think the way that we measure success is deemed through the amount of things that we do. And the amount of things that we do like beneficial, like you can see it in social media, you see it like show producing and all that people feel like you got to be like posting every minute on social media, or you're out of the game. And I'm like, I post in ghost. So it's a little bit different. So I just put up one post a day, and then I'm off of it because it's a time suck that I don't want. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather play video games if I'm going to play a game, rather than be on social media, because it's, it's a different type of time capacity, you do mindlessly scroll. But it is this sense of like, does that translate into your actual life? Like when you're living your life, does time go by even slower? Now we know time's not physically going by slower, but are we perceiving it harder? Is there like a harder thing when you pull back? Let's say one person, for an example, plays a video game seven days a week. Now on that seventh day, they've been playing these video games for hours and hours and hours, and they got to go to work. They're going to be at work like bored out of their freaking mind because they just had a full week of having fun on video games. So it's like, are you seeing a time translation? Like, are you seeing when they go into the system to when they come out? Are they happier? Are they sadder? Is it what is it? I mean, I don't know. It's a, I guess it's also on a case, case, case basis. What do you have to, you would have to see what, what's going on. But um, I do think that there's what you were saying. That, First, like this, this notion that we have time is a resource, it's limited, you know, we only have so much time on this earth. And there's this idea that you have to be productive, you have to be really, you know, uh, use that resource time in a productive way. And we kind of lose, you know, um, track of the, the idea of like, we also need time to just chill and relax. It's also, and I think that's maybe, um, we're seeing, I think, this might be just my experience, but I have a sense that there's an increasing interest in mindfulness practices and meditation in our culture, in Western cultures, uh, uh, at least. Um, Eastern cultures have had it for longer. I don't know what the, if there's an increase there or not, but uh, this is kind of a new thing in the West, uh, historically speaking, And but I see an increasing interest in it, an openness to it. And I think it may come from a need and a realization that, um, we're too lost in our narrative, right? Where am I coming from? Where am I going? And what do I have to do now to get there? You know, whereas being mindful is just being, where am I now? And what's the situation? What's my experience right now? It doesn't matter if I'm looking at, you know, a nice landscape or at the wall in my room. It's just being mindful of that. Am I breathing of my body, the sensations in my body and just being in the now without thinking of how this now is going to impact the, you know, tomorrow or the future, whatever. Um, it's just being present. And I think that's a very important thing in life to have moments of that, you know, when, when 
you really focus on your experience and try to be in the now. Um, and stop always thinking in terms of this narrative that you're driving somewhere, you know, um, which is, um, of course, necessary. We all need to, you know, have a purpose and it's important to have it and to have a feeling that, okay, what I'm doing is, you know, contributing something to society, to my life, to my family, to something. But um, we've lost maybe balance at some point, culturally, socially speaking. Um, and we're trying to regain that, I guess, through inserting this mindfulness practice in, in Western culture, I well, think. Well, has your perception of time changed from when you started researching to where you're at now? Like, because if you would have asked me, like, before I started actually talking to people who studied like temporal experiences and just time in general, I would have told you time was this thing that you can't see, like space matter or something that's like this thing we're going to find one day and we're going to be able to time travel on it, like riding a stallion. But now the way I consider time is like, I think time is in the basis of your values. Like some people like we'll do this. I'll do the same task as you. You might be like, that was a waste of my time. But for me, it was like, that was the best time ever. And it's just because what I value is this thing that we did and you value something maybe differently. Now we could say values. I'm not talking about family values or any of that. I'm talking specifically about a goal that we find interesting or what brings us happiness. For instance, we're probably have different definitions of fun. I like staring at paint and watching it dry sometimes that's fun. But to you, that sounds like I could be doing something else. That's always what I hear when I ask somebody like, what'd you do over the weekend? Oh, not really much of anything. It's like, well, what did you do? Well, I went to amusement park, went to Disney world. It's like, that sounds fun. It's like, yeah, I mean, I got dragged to it. It's like, okay, well, your definition of fun is different than mine. So that means you probably time for you went so slow. But if I, that was me in that position, it would have been fast it would have been over in a split second because i would have been experiencing this amazing thing that i enjoy and i started to realize maybe time is necessarily in the things that we value the way that time for me at least what i've learned to understand was that if we're doing something that's in benefit to your own success or to your goals you see time go by quicker because you're doing something that you want to be doing but ask somebody to do something that they're not doing or they're not wanting to do Time is going to go by very, very slow, not necessarily the real actual consistency of time, but the way that they perceive it because they don't want to be doing that. It's not it's not in their attention. It's not something that they're about. They don't have the energy or effort to put into it, which it, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I mean time, there's the curious thing about time also. It's like it's a word that we used to talk about different things. Sounds <laughs> cool when you word. say you study it. <laughs> but, you know. Um, one thing that, that I differentiate is like physical time, uh, right? Uh, whatever that is, I know physicists haven't figured it out yet. And uh, there are like uh, ideas, hypotheses. I like to listen to, to um, physicists do like uh, science communication and, and bring down their very complex theories to, to lay terms and layperson terms. Um, and as far as I know, yeah, there's not really um, you know, maybe time doesn't even exist per se as a thing, but it's an emergent property of the universe, but not. Um, but there's this other thing, which is time as we perceive it, psychological time. And that's a very different thing in a way. Um, it's what something our mind does, right? And it's not just one thing our mind does, it's many things that, things that our mind does. Uh, um, I think the philosopher Daniel Dennett said of consciousness, right? It's not just a 
trick, it's a bag of tricks. I think it's the same is true of this aspect of consciousness. Time perception is a very central aspect to consciousness. I think it's also like a bag of tricks. And um, just by studying it, yeah, I have also like become more aware of, you know, my relation to time. But one thing we do is like, for example, yeah, the passage of time, right? Are we, um, how is it passing fast or slow? And what you're doing and how is it connected to, to the sense of passage of time? But also this idea of the temporal frame that's called temporal frame um, or temporal perspective. I think it's a term called, coined by uh, Zimbardo, the psychologist called Zimbardo, um, which is basically people tend to favor. We have three temporal frames, you could say past, present, and future, right? And we tend to favor one over the other. Often, right, so more people are more present focused, more maybe more impulsive, more hedonistic, maybe. Uh, some people are more future focused, so they will sacrifice pleasure now for you know a reward further ahead in the future. Some people are more past focused, maybe more melancholic or whatever. You know, it doesn't have need to be neg a negative relationship to the time frame, but that's another way that maybe we relate to time uh, that I've become more aware of, and I think it helps to, to become aware of. It's like to have a balance between those time frames and to try to, to have a positive relationship to those time frames. And um, and I'm, I'm kind of losing track of what well, I Well, you mentioned, you mentioned meditation. Do you ever find yourself trying to extend your perception of time? Like when you go into those meditation, like sometimes like I have ADHD. So for me, I feel like it, like just the other day, I'll give you an example. I did like three hours of cardio and my whole like everything felt like it just started slowing down like my speech became a little bit slower um the way i was hearing information was slower and i was like am i like am i high it just feels like everything slowed down and i realized i'm so fast paced because of all the energy i'm i'm more like go 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 like ready to go and i realized like if you meditate like sometimes i'll sit like sit down and like a, on the floor or something and i'll just kind of like close my eyes and take deep breaths and really try and feel like I'm, I'm not actually slowing down time, but to me, it's slowing down in a sense of I'm trying to extend out my perception of it just so I can balance out. Cause everything seems like it's coming at me too fast. It's a good thing to do. Like you hear people when they get angry or when they get stressed, just take deep breaths. It's to kind of catch yourself in a sense, because you have a lot coming at you in a short amount of time, but really the time's not different. It's just the way that you're experiencing it because all you're doing is focusing on things that might be in the future F future worrying is a big thing i know psychologists talk about which is like this idea that you're worried about future problems that don't even aren't even happening yet and all this a lot of people think like 10 15 steps ahead and it's good to kind of catch yourself and extend that perception of the moment that you're in because you'll experience better moments in your life the things that you go uh, like your kids, for instance, you see them grow up so fast. You're like, man, I wish this would have lasted forever. Now in that moment, you might not have when they were drawing crayon on your wall, but you miss it now because it's gone. And it's this type of thing where you're like, if I realize the moments that I'm in that I truly appreciate, I'll probably appreciate more moments if I recognize the moment that I'm actually in. That's a weird way of saying that, but I think it rings true. Yeah, no, I think it, it makes sense. And it's a, uh... It's this relationship to time and which time frame we're paying attention to. It's very important to be aware of and uh, to, to find a balance on that. So if you're a person that's always like looking at a to-do list and trying to check every item of the to-do list, a to-do list that, let's be real, like, usually it's increasingly growing. So it's never yeah. going to end. I know people like this, you know, and um, 
Um, and so you're always looking at, okay, now I have to do this and that. And you're looking always at this, okay, I have to get things done. And I'm working for a future state in which this thing will have been done. And it's easy to look track of the present, lose track of the present moment in that way. And you need to sometimes like put the tilde do do list down, you know, and sit down and relax, enjoy wine, you know, some music and uh, be in the present without thinking of how does this bring me closer to checking off another item on my to-do list, you know? But if you're also too present focused, you might have like the, the flip side of that would be, you may um, be very bad at planning, for example, right? Or saying no to something that will be, give you pleasure now, but might have a negative consequence in the future, right? Like a typical example is like, if you're on a diet and you're very, very impulsive and more present focused, it will be harder to say no to a piece of cake, right? Um, than if you're focused on the goal at that moment, losing weight, like, you know, my future weight a month from now, two months from now, uh, that's easier than to, to engage in self-control and say no to that piece of cake, you know? Um, so that's, yeah, that's a very important. And I, I associate that with video games also in some of my research, theoretically speaking, at least. But first of all, I have like a, a, a sort of, a, at least I speculate at least, or a, 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 I believe that may, that this time of type of time frame that we favor may lead us to play certain types of games above others, right? If you're very present focused, then maybe you're more prone to playing Call of Duty, Doom, instant gratification, action, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you're more future focused, maybe you'll be more patient to play, you know, a civilization game or and you rather play those, right? I'm not saying, you know, these people like fit, everyone fits neatly into boxes here, but there will be maybe a tendency to favor one game over the other, right? But also some games might influence the time frame we're in at the moment where we're playing. And so if I'm playing Civilization, I will necessarily have to adopt a future, you know, um, time frame sort of um, um, focus. Wait, you created that theory? I yeah, I wrote about this uh, like this time. I, I apply this Zimbardo's uh, you know temporal frames theory to the analysis of video games. It, this is part of my uh, book, Time and Space in Video Games. It's one of my chapters there. And so what I do also is I analyze a game like Resident Evil, for example. I think you mentioned horror before. Yeah. Probably played Resident Evil um, a couple times with the lights off and never again. I think an interesting thing about Resident Evil is the tension between temporal frames. The game requires you to be thrifty and to administer resources carefully and cautiously, right? You have very little ammunition. You're low on health all the time. Right? Your characters are kind of weak, you know? Um, and you don't have many like uh, health items and your inventory is small anyway, you know? Talking also specifically about Resident Evil 1, but I think this applies to, to many other games in the series, most of them probably. Um, so you have to be very careful. With resources, but the game is putting you in a state of mind that makes you very impulsive because you're scared, right? You, um, you know, you're entering into a new room. You don't know if there's going to be zombies. If they're going to jump at you. If there's going to be like a dog or a, what's going to happen. And whenever anything happens, then you're prone. You're in this impulsive, emotional state in which you're prone to pull the trigger, you know, faster or sooner than you probably should. And the game actually, you know. Yeah, I remember playing Resident Evil for the first time. This was back in the 90s. I was more used to playing um, first-person shooters. So I just went in guns blazing, and I ran out of ammo really quickly, you know? 
And then I realized, okay, this is not how you play this game, you know? You didn't just, you know, uh, shoot yourself through the corridors of this mansion. You sometimes just avoid the zombies, you know? And you, you, you know, this feeling of safety that shooting them and killing them may give you, um, it's probably not the best decision at the moment. So maybe just try to avoid them, even if it's riskier, you know? Um, and conserve this ammo for, for later or, and use your, your resources in that way and play more slowly and think and strategize. And, but it's this tension then of the, the aesthetics, the visual aesthetics of the game and the story putting you in, you know, it's a horror game. It's give, give, scaring you and putting you in an emotional impulsive state contrasted with this mechanics of the game that require you to be very thrifty and, and good with resources. So, and I think that's where the power of Resident Evil comes into play. It's this, of this genre of survival horror that it's that's that tension between these two temporal frames that you have to always be as a player um, sort of balancing out. It seems like a w- weird way of how I perceived that was like that video games could also curate a personality. Like if you have a kid, for instance, like myself, I find myself, I slow down more when I play like long story games. Like I find that even like for the next week, I remember I played Assassin's Creed like every day when I was in high, like high school and middle school for like, I mean, months straight where eventually I thought I was getting actual Eagle vision where you could see like enemies. If you blink, like it wasn't real, but you get so involved into it to where it's like, yeah. And then you start finding yourself like curating your personality in a sense, based on the games that you play. So maybe like ask people a game, for instance, like what's your favorite game? And they're like, I like a farming game. This person probably actually likes experiencing like hard work and boringness, I guess. I don't know, but that's, but you can, in a sense, like if you have somebody who's very, very angry and very, very aggressive, they might be attracted to grand theft auto. That just might be something that they're interested in the more fast paced kind of shooting kind of all this type of lifestyle or imagine if you put them in a position on a game they wouldn't choose like i want to invite you to star wars lego they play star wars lego and next thing you know you find them being a little bit less hostile and they're having a way to be able to vent their anger out because the game is kind of a kid's game yeah no absolutely i, I don't know i mean this is all very interesting and it would be nice to see research on this that i, I don't know right like personality traits and uh, specifically also for, uh, traits related to, to time perception and how they influence our choices when playing games. And uh, and if also like the opposite effect can be true if playing video games often um, can help you train how to, you know, focus on other temporal frames or, you know, which you don't typically do. I, for example, you know, I'm not a consider myself a violent person. I rarely or never got into like fights or anything. Um, but I do love a shooter, you know. Um, I do love a first person shooter with a lot of action and gore. And wonder, well, is that because I'm specifically because I don't like it, or uh in real life that I seek it there because it gives me a thrill or something, because I know it's fake, so you know I can take it there. Um, or what is it, you know? And um, well, with time it's like kind of the same. I wonder, it's like is it if I'm very present focused, will I tend to play more present focused games? Or maybe I find the other one interesting as well because it's like, oh, this time frame, it's also cool. <laughs> there are times I play Godfather where I'm like, I wish I was a mobster. Like there, I, when it's going good, when it goes bad, I'm like, thank God I'm not getting shoved in a pizza yeah. oven. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there are many other ways in which time perception relates to games. So that's another one of them, for example, right? Um, so, but also like going back to something you said before, like, um, 
this extension maybe of, 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 uh, of the perception of time. You know, on one sense, you have this idea of the passage of time uh, and they can feel like it's going more slowly like when you're bored or it's going faster when you're you know, engaged and having fun. But there's also the, the more functional ways in which the mind perceives time. And it's, uh, for example, the present moment usually said to be a window of three seconds, right? More or less, take or give or take. But it's mostly like the now it's a three second window that extends a little bit into the future, a little bit into the past, right? Um, but that's kind of the limit, three, three seconds more or less. But we can shorten that. That's easy, you know? And one way to do that, and some research has shown this, is, um, for example, you have a metronome doing like tic-tac, tic-tac, tic-tac. And you can group those ticks, tic-tacs, or ticks, basically, like saying one, two, one, two. And that's then you're reducing, basically, the, the unit, the sensory unit of perception, right? That, that those two ticks are a unit, right? And it's kind of like your present moment and do combine them, right? This temporal binding, so, so to speak, works right there because it, the ticks are so close to each other. But if the ticks were over three seconds apart, then you cannot bind them anymore as a unit, right? But if they're close enough, you can do one, two, one, two, or one, two, three, one, two, three, and then you have two you know, units of three uh, because they're close enough. Uh, but there are practices like mindfulness that um, I've seen some evidence for this, especially with. Um, audition, right, uh, that allow you to extend the duration of the present. And it's, you know, believed, I think, that experienced meditators, for example, um, could have a longer um, present, right? This, uh, this moment of the present of three seconds could be a longer, uh, a bigger time window for them um, than for the average person. Um, this focusing on the present makes you, you know, extend also your present moment, uh, and the way the mind works with relation to perceiving the present. But that this is also still like very, uh, you know, under research and uh, research is still ongoing. Um, but that, that I think that's possible. Once we understand time, we can make a time machine. <laughs> Hopefully. That's well, we goal. are a time machine in a sense, right? We're always looking into the future and to the past with our minds. That's time traveling in a sense. I want a physical time machine. I can go back and meet Marilyn Monroe. That's it. <laughs> right. That's it. <laughs> That's all you my, want. Okay. Take my money. Um, yeah. You should talk to a physicist then. I can help you there. <laughs> <laughs> make me perceive it at least. Make me feel like I'm actually right. going back. Well, that, that's, yeah. I can think that's doable. <laughs> well, but, hey, man, yeah, yeah, that would be fascinating, of course. I would uh, very much like to, to see that, like uh, a time machine. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, man. Is there a place where people can find you? You got any links you want to promote? Yeah, well, I have a Twitter account. It's um, at Fede Alvarez. So um, F-E-D-E, then Alvarez, my first surname, and then an I which is the eye of Igarzaba, my second surname. So Fede Alvarez. I'm going to put that in the description. Twitter handle. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Uh, if that's in the description, now it's better. And I have a website. It's uh, federicoalvarez.com. That's where you can find out a little bit more about my research, my publications, and you know, other interviews I've done, stuff like that. Those, I guess, would be the, the main places to go. There's also links to my books there. Um, well, I, I have one book and then I've edited volumes uh, with other authors um, on video games. And my own book is uh, Time and Space in Video Games. And it's, yeah, it's a mix of um, 
cognitive science and formal analysis of video games. So a mix humanities and natural sciences to sort of uh, uh, analyze the temporal aesthetics of, of video games. Um, so for people who want to know more about my research, that's also a good place to, to start. You have to admit, this was a lot different than your other interviews. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was fun. Right. It was a lot of fun. This sort of conversational, more le less interview, more more having a chat sort of format. We got to talk about time. I'm telling you, Marilyn Monroe, we'll get there. Five years. I'm thinking five <laughs> years. Um, hey, time went by fast, so it's uh, it's a good time. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure I link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting, and thanks for listening to this episode of Out of the Blue.